Attention, all residents of Elwood City. This is an emergency broadcast. Okay, just kidding. It's Lucas here, your buddy, your pal. Uh, I'm just here to remind you that if you want to help us out here at Elwood City Limits, uh, there's a couple of ways. Of course, there's, you know, donating to the Patreon. But another huge way that helps us is uh, nominating us for the Coast Best of Halifax Award. See, Elwood City Limits is a Halifax podcast, and one of the ways that we get recognition is in the annual Coast Awards. Last year, we were nominated, and we'd love to be nominated again. It's really simple. All you have to do is go to bestofhalifax.com, scroll down to the News and Media section, and then under Podcast, write down Elwood City Limits. And that supports us here as a podcast. Okay, that, that that's the end of the emergency broadcast. Oh, Elwood City Limits So proud, so bold Now you are 100 Episodes Oh, I lift my head and sing to thee Oh, Elwood, Elwood, Elwood City Limits Well, how the hell did we get here? <laughs> it's been a long road Getting from there to here It's been a long time I actually don't know the lyrics to that song I've got faith <laughs> of the heart <laughs> Just picture old-timey footage of like a Zeppelin taking off and Yeah, the first a really, a really crappy airplane Yeah, yeah uh, and then there's me and you in a in a podcast studio. Uh, one thing uh, three years ago. One thing one thing we do have is faith of the heart. Uh, as we begin, what is the 100th episode of Elwood City Limits? Well, I should say, of course, for you know everybody kind of being pedantic about it. And you know, <laughs> this is this is you yeah. know it's, uh, episode 100. We're starting off addressing the haters. Yeah. So of course this isn't the official. <laughs> 100th episode of Elwood City Limits. We've done way more than 100 full podcast episodes, but this is the 100th mainline episode of the show. And yes, as you said, Lucas, we began this journey three years ago. We're going to be celebrating our anniversary in uh, in two months. It's, it's, it's insane. And I mean, this is a pretty big milestone. One... Hundred episodes. Did you? Ever, I don't think I've ever done anything for a hundred weeks in a row consistently. Did you? Well, and we <laughs> we still haven't with the, with the way that we've released the podcast here and there. <laughs> did you think that when we started this that we would get this far? Like, did you ever like? What did you? What did you realistically think was probably going to happen with? This? I mean, as far as I'm concerned, we signed a blood oath to watch all. How many seasons are there? Sixteen. Twenty four. 20, 24? 24 seasons it of Arthur. might so, be 22. 20-something. 20 uh, as far as I'm concerned, if I was to meet my untimely demise, I would be uh, trapped in this mortal realm until I finished recording a podcast episode about every uh, episode of Arthur. It's it's kind of my my blood duty at this point. Ooh, so. the, the Arthur ghost cast. Exactly. That's, how we, that's when we start really making money when you can't use it anymore. Yeah, yeah. Episode one hundred and one. It's the paranormal. You're gonna try and talk to me with a Ouija board or something. Well, then every episode would be episode eight hundred. Oh, boo, boo. 
episode 666. <laughs> yes, everybody, we've been doing this for 100 episodes. Welcome to Elwood City Limits. This is the uh, unofficial podcast about PBS's greatest children's show, uh, Arthur. My name's Will Young, and I've been one of your hosts for the last 100 episodes, and of course, wouldn't be getting very far without my co-host, Lucas Mancini. Hey, I'm the other host. He sure is, uh, <laughs> Lucas. We have we're gonna we're gonna break from formula a little bit here. Uh, we have gotten quite a few, not just wonderful correspondences from our um, from our lovely listening audience. We've got a lot of emails, uh, you know, tweets, uh, messages, all this kind of stuff. We've even gotten well something that I never thought that we'd get in a million years. We're going to actually save all that, you know, the kind of episode 100 victory lap uh, for the, the end. The fanfare. The fanfare, yes, for the end of the episode. We will be getting to them, but we're going to get into it right now because, as it turns out, there's something else that's turning 100 that we need to give our full attention to. Uh, and, and, and what might that be, Will? What, what else is turning 100? The, um, the location of Elwood City. It's hold, holding its centennial. That's it's crazy. Now, okay, wait a minute. Let's start off with we're gonna hit all the Elwood City Limits faves. It's time to start off with a Google search. Uh, when did this episode first air? Because now we can figure out when Elwood City was established. Well, actually, I can also tell you about that because oh, in you. in the cold open to this episode titled Elwood City Turns One Hundred, we get President Teddy Roosevelt himself telling us that on this date. In 1903... Uh, I see. I probably should have been paying attention. (laughs) Elwood becomes Elwood City. We get a flashback to to the town square of Elwood City as everybody's around. A lot of lumberjacks, people in top hats. It's 1903. And, uh, (laughs) you know, they're probably all uh, coked up uh, on, like, a drugstore cocaine or, like, the cocaine that was in uh, Coca-Cola at the time. Yeah, opium. They're all... (laughs) <laughs> like they're all probably like gonna die at 33 of dysentery, you know, 1903 stuff. And uh, yeah, t- we uh, we actually get President Teddy Roosevelt at the time uh, uh, installing Elwood as a city, and thanks to the uh, the efforts of one Jacob Katzenellen Bogan, who is an uh, an elderly man also in a top hat who uh, complains about everything. They inv- unveil a statue of him. He thinks he looks too fat. They misspell he wanted his the name. City to be, yeah, he wanted the city to be called Elmwood, not Elwood. Mm-hmm. We also get, uh, so President Roosevelt says that uh, they essentially turned what it, what was 50 acres of swamp into a lumber town. So back at the turn of the, of the uh, 20th century, um, Elwood City was a lumber town, which is why there's so many lumberjacks around. And we also get cameos from J.P. Morgan and Henry Ford. So we're busting out all of the in-demand celebrity cameos. of, of Yeah, the 1903 celebs. Mm-hmm. They've all turned out, and uh, this kind of ends, this cold open does, with uh, Jacob Katzenellenbogen, which is, I got, I got to wonder how they came up with that name. That's a gem. Just kind of waving his cane around and... All this kind of stuff. And then we go right from him to his statue as Mr. Ratburn is telling the kids at Lakewood Elementary that they have been chosen out of every school in the city to put on a musical. I uh, I once was tasked to be in a musical in um, 
well, not a musical, but every time I've been, like, as a student, uh, forced to be in a production, whether that was in uh, junior high, when I was in a, 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 a Shakespeare play, which was brutal, or uh, like actually, again, in junior high, they tried to put on a production of the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which was similarly a brutal uh being in a school play not all that it's cracked up to be it kind of sucks it's a lot of extra work mm. um and it's it's uh these kids are not as worried as they should be they're actually pretty excited yeah and this is this is quite a thing to like to plop in the laps of third graders like and we're talking about like some of them have end up having roles. Mr. Ratburn ends up choosing roles for everybody randomly out of oh, okay. a hat. I, I'm glad you mentioned that because that is a bad way yeah, this is to terrible. hand out roles for a play. Specifically, like, in terms of, like, the fact that, you know, the director is just going to be randomly given to someone as well as the lead the, the lead narrator uh, who, who has to sort of sing throughout the whole play. Also, right before that moment, we get this moment of uh, uh, backstory with Mr. Rappern yeah. about how his one both uh, uh, artistic and academic failure was when he tried to do a one-man uh, puppet show of, um, was it? Hamlet. Hamlet? Yeah, it was Hamlet. Uh, and uh, it sort of scarred him for life because it almost ruined his grade average. Uh, and he does this amazing delivery of the line, Curtain! Curtain. He's like he's like hissing it. It's a stage whisper. Just curtain, curtain, <laughs> and which we returned to a couple of times. I would pay serious money to see Ratburn's one man puppet Hamlet. Now in the in the in the in the flashback, it kind of falls apart and all this kind of thing. But like, imagine uh, Mr. Rat modern Mr. Ratburn with the with the budget of like a Broadway play. I would be front row. Yeah, if, if if Netflix Netflix, you know, um, if you're gonna do the one man Bruce Springsteen show, and it, it, that's literally just Bruce Springsteen talking for like an hour and a half. Uh, I'm sure we could get somebody behind getting Mr. Rapper out there with his puppets. See, it, see, Bruce Springsteen talking for an hour and a half just makes me just seems to me like the world's longest Elias promo. <laughs> it's far better than that. That Bruce Springsteen Netflix <laughs> thing's actually all right. Okay. Uh, all right. Uh, how how much does Elias talk about uh, uh, the working man? Not uh, not <laughs> as, not as much as you think for a guy who looks as close to Springsteen as he does. Is he from New Jersey? No, I think he's from Philly. Oh. Uh, so yeah, Mr. Rapper is handing out these roles. Uh, we get a great moment with Buster. He does not have spell director. He thinks it's Dr. Ector, which is fun. Yeah, Dr. Ector. And uh, Buster finally figures out what that means to be the director, to which he proclaims, this is going to be the weirdest musical ever, <laughs> which I appreciated his gusto there. Mm. We also get uh, Arthur is the narrator, and Francine is a part of the chorus line, which she is not happy with because she's the best singer in the whole class. You know, classic prank and, uh, scene. Brain's the writer. Yes. So we can see, and we're going to see in a second here, just where the where one of the episode conflicts is going to come in with the director and writer so at odds. Never, not since, um, oh gosh, I wish I had an example of like a Hollywood movie where the writer and director hated each other. Uh, uh, in RoboCop 2, oh. uh, Frank Miller wrote RoboCop 2. Uh, and it didn't turn out the way he wanted to at all, so he made a comic book version of his original script. Right, yes. Uh, and that is, like, the only example I can think of off the top of my head. Well, see, Buster, I think, is a little closer to Frank Miller, just 
considerably less racist. Racist, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just gonna say. Uh... <laughs> um, yeah, so we kind of get the roles for everybody here again. Bad, bad doing it with essentially scenes from a hat from Who's Line. Uh, I like the cut to this next scene as Mr. Ratburn's in the teacher's lounge. He's reading a book called An Actor Prepares by Stanislavski. So he's taking this very seriously. Uh, This is, of course, his moment to redeem himself. And Muffy comes in and she is talking contracts, my man. She wants to get exclusive rights to the musical, which uh, she's also also saying she's going to help him with the publicity, where uh, which helps, you know. Will, I'm now a entered the world of the public relations professional, so I can't tell you that. I, I sure hope that for an event like this Elwood City play that they have a strategic communications plan put together. You know, mm-hmm. we need I, mm-hmm. I want to see what kind of SWOT analysis we have. What are the, the you know, uh, the the strategies, the tactics, the weaknesses, uh, 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 whatever the O in SWAT means. Jeez, uh, I'm really uh, yeah. showing off this degree now. Uh, but... <laughs> All that being said, uh, yeah, let me let me see this tactics table that uh, uh, Muffy's uh, agency's putting together uh, to promote this this here play. She's at least the most forward about the role, so I think that at least she makes up for it in uh, eagerness. Let's say objectives, objectives. The the O stands for objectives. Oh, okay, is that so? S W O T. Yeah, the SWOT analysis. Well, that's some secret PR knowledge. Usually, you got to pay to know about that. <laughs> yeah, that's we've been schooling you for this long, people. So you can. <laughs> it's like watching film criticism videos on YouTube. You don't need a film studies minor like me. You can literally learn everything for free. Uh, uh. I should teach a master class like Neil Gaiman. Um, <laughs> we also, so yeah, Buffy makes Mr. Rapper and sign over the the rights to the play if it gets picked up, you know, on Broadway. Uh, if it's the next uh, uh, Hamilton or what have you. Uh, and then we get Buster and the Brain already, the writer and director clashing heads. Uh, brain wanting to do a very, um, you know, hyper-realistic uh, sort of Ken Burns-esque uh, uh, retelling of Elwood City's history. And uh, uh, Buster's going a little big with it. Yeah, I really liked this conflict because it made sense for both of their characters. Uh, Buster with the pie in the sky ideas and brain very much trying to be realistic to the point of being boring. So it's both sides of the coin here. Buster with these fanciful ideas about like alien abductions and stuff like that, like uh, like Tetsuya Nomura on Final <laughs> Fantasy fifteen. He just wanted it to be everything in one game. I'm only saying that because I literally just watched Super Eye Patch Wolf's video on Final Fantasy 15 again. Uh, I thought you were going to say you just watched the Square Enix press conference. It's E3. Not only is it the 100th episode of Elwood City Limits, it's been a big week for yours truly. Because uh, another thing, it's essentially Christmas in June for myself, which is the E3 press conferences, which I've watched religiously since like 2006. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the Square Enix press conference Tetsuya Nomura came out wearing shorts which was fun to see on stage <laughs> not uh, bad did you have a chance to watch the Nintendo press conference Will I sure did uh I skipped you through it as, as Banjo Kazooie yeah I got spoiled for that so uh I didn't oh. get the surprise unfortunately but I'm happy that everybody's happy I'm, I'm not into Smash just yet but uh that's pretty cool that's a cool thing they're doing Normal Heroes 3 as well. Uh, yeah, you know, that's, yeah. That's, that's very fun. Travis Touchdown is returning my once hope, again. My hope, uh, is, is, my hope is that at some point we do get the remasters of uh, the first two games for the Switch. I will buy those immediately, and then three. 
Uh, what else was big news? I mean, Animal, Keanu, Cro- Animal Crossing. An- Animal Crossing got pushed back, unfortunately. Uh, Keanu. Uh, uh, you know, Keanu appearing to to promote Cyberpunk twenty twenty nine was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, and lots of big games coming this fall. Will Pokemon, Call of Duty Modern Warfare, Death Stranding. It's not just the world of Elwood City. Uh, the world of video games turns out it's hustling and a bustling. That is absolutely true. Uh, I'm just yeah, it's it's an exciting time to be a a video gamer. So uh, <laughs> I, I know what you mean. I I I watch E3 every year with my friends. Um, we also have here another conflict that we're setting up is that Arthur can't re he can kind of sing, but not to the extent that the narrator needs to sing. This I found kind of interesting. I wonder if. So we go to, like, Arthur. He's trying to do his scales uh, with Miss Krasny, and he just he can't hit all of the notes. Like, he has a range, but it's very limited. Um, they got to they gotta hook him up with that auto-tune, bro. Yeah. They got to they hook him up with them little Uzi Vert, Travis Scott. They got to hook him up with some Travis Scott auto-tune. Um, and then not... Then this play will be a real big deal. That would have been that would have been hilarious if they did this episode now. They absolutely would have given him auto tune. It would have been really funny. <laughs> um, and I wonder. I was wondering if Arthur's voice actor, like you know, voice actors very talented with their voice. Obviously, a lot of them are professional singers as well. And I was wondering if his voice actor can actually sing and is pretending to be bad. I, I the, bet it's that. I bet it's pretending to be bad. And and I wonder how difficult that is. Like pretending like I remember there's like a there's like a trivia fact about the movie School of Rock where uh Miranda uh oh, what's her name from from iCarly. Um Oh, I I know who you're talking about. Yeah, so like the main the main like little girl character, she had to pretend to not be able to sing, and she found it really difficult. See, that kind of sounds... Uh, not to be a, a hater, I know we started this episode calling out all the haters out there, but to me, that kind of sounds like a little bit of a humble flex. <laughs> sounds like a little bit of a humble flex. I feel like I know plenty of people who could sing well who could also just sing badly on command by not trying. Uh, it might be that Miranda Cosgrove, which I just Miranda Cosgrove. Thank you. Uh, she might be she might be pulling off not to you know make fun of a child or anything, but uh, I think that might be a little bit of a humble flex there. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, unconfirmed. We can only I sing say. too good. It's like me saying like, oh yeah, I I'm really good at pole vaulting. It's it's hard for me to not be good at pole vaulting. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm, I'm- so good at playing Apex Legends. Uh, it's difficult for me to not be good. Yeah, I'm so Legends. I'm so good at Fortnite that I uninstalled yeah. the game. Like, yeah. I can't yeah. do I can't do that to people anymore. It's not right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> exactly. You got to spread the dubs around. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You can't be hogging all the dubs. It's time to let a new generation take my place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now I am it's the very, a- very honorable of you. Very honorable of you. Now I am the Apex Legend. <laughs> um. Arthur's again practicing singing at home. We get DW, uh, the Tibbles, and uh, Visita. Uh, they're having to suffer through listening listening to him. DW had my favorite line. It's like my Mary Mukow doll with only one battery. Uh, I really like that. Uh, Timmy Tibble is also like, I can sing worse than Arthur. And in a rare first, he admits that he can't. That was like uh, one of my favorite comedic episode parts of the episode because. 
he like attempts he doesn't even like make a sound like he opens his mouth um and then like nothing comes out and he's like no i can't uh francine does come over uh she kind of earlier was showing arthur how to do the scales and obviously showing him up so arthur's kind of hostile towards her help but she does she is coming from a place of sincerity she does want to help him so arthur accepts um we get a little, like a little, whoa, whoa, a hundred episodes. And now we're going into the wacky dimension. <laughs> uh, we get a little bit of a montage of, you know, uh, brain and Buster kind of having different ideas for the show. Arthur trying to be taught how to sing. And then we get to dress rehearsal. This is, uh, does not go particularly well because Arthur's still having trouble projecting. And then everybody kind of starts picking at each other. There's a particularly fun exchange here between Jenna and Binky. Uh, Binky rips the seat of his pants as he's instructing Jenna on the choreography of using, of being lumberjacks and like chopping their axe in time with the music. He rips the seat and Jenna's like, not another one. And Binky's talking, and they just go back and forth. Like, I thought you said you were a medium. And Binky's like, I am a medium. I'm a medium in my chinos. I'm a medium in my (laughs) jeans. A medium in my chinos. I'm a medium in my chinos is one of my favorite lines from the episode. Because it's almost like uh, they're sort of moving on to another scene as Binky's delivering that line. So it's almost like one of those, like, off-mic lines where you you have to be really paying attention to hear it. But he's like, yeah, I'm a medium in my chinos, a medium in my jeans. It's sort of this argument of Binky ripping his jeans is like the canary in the coal mine for the entire play falling apart because we just sort of one by one see all of these uh, uh, sort of arguments and and, uh, the play just start to come apart at the seams. You know, Buster introduces his robot uh, and Brain's not pleased with him. Uh, Muffy's showing Mr. Rapper in the guest list. Of all the celebs. Uh, one of those celebs uh, looks a little out of place because we have like some of the guests who have been on Arthur before. One yeah, the- I thought this was, before you get to the one that looks out of place, I yeah. thought this was so cool that, you know, this episode is the, it's the 100th episode of Arthur, correct? Yes. So it's like a testament. I, I feel like it's been a while since, not since like season one or two where we had that big season finale episode that sort of looked back on their summer. Um, or there, and, and then there was that other episode that looked back on their year. Not since those two episodes have we really felt like a uh, a series or a season finale episode in Arthur, sort of looking back at its history and 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 sort of um, being like, ah, let's let's really sit here and like look back at, at Arthur and and really take it all in and kind of hit the reset button. Um, and I feel like we haven't had a moment like that for many seasons now. And so just like this episode doing this callback of like, here's all the celebrities that either we've had parodies of or had the actual pe- person. So Michelle Kwan, Yo-Yo Ma, Mr. Rogers, uh, Alex Lebeck, not actually Alex Trebek. Uh, Mark, but, Bra- uh, Mark Brown. And so is that the one that you're saying was out of place? No, actually, the one below, oh. Mar- the one below Mark Brown, Jeremy O'Neill is uh, a storyboard artist who works on Arthur and they just kind of snuck his name in there. Ooh. After, did, uh... after talking with after talking with uh, former ca- character designer Rich Morris, which you can check out that interview uh, we put up last week, um I I imagine that was just a fun thing around the office for them. Uh did you did you ask Rich about that? I I haven't oh, finished no, the interview yet, no. No, uh, I didn't. By the way, what I've listened to so far, I've listened about 3 quarters of it. Um I, incredible. What what a wealth of knowledge. 
uh, uh, Rich was. That was fascinating stuff, Will. Well, I dare say that that's not the last that you'll hear of Rich Morris on Elwood City Limits. And I'll leave it at that. Ooh. Uh, yeah, so um, everybody's arguing at the dress rehearsal. Mr. Ratburn's starting to get flashbacks, and he pictures having to do the curtain, curtain to everybody as uh, as everything falls apart on opening night. But then Muffy actually steps up to the plate and gives a rousing speech, uh, getting everybody back on track. Because they could have picked Mighty Mountain. They could have picked Glenbrook. Uh, again, I love the tributes to Arthur's history of, like, all the evil schools. Um, an, <laughs> yeah. a, another great detail. Like, yeah. I, 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 I'm a sucker for this stuff. Yeah, no, the uh, the continuity reaches in this episode are very much appreciated and well-placed as well. They're not just out of nowhere. Um, so everybody kind of gets back on the same page and does it again. Uh, later on, after the dress rehearsal, Arthur admits that he can't do the narrator role, so he cedes it to Francine. Well, I have to say, I was kind of surprised. I thought, I kind of thought she was going to be worse about this. You know, I thought she was going to be like, "Yeah, give me it," because you're like you're garbage at this. But she does. She did like. Ref- she did at least politely refuse the role at first, and she's like, "Are you really sure you want to do this?" And she, obviously, she's very excited. But I appreciated her not necessarily being a jerk about it. We do get to opening night eventually, and we do get those the physical cameos from the former guest stars, but we never really hear their voices. So no, uh, the only one is uh, you know Art Garfunkel gets some lip service where uh, Mr. Rapper is like yeah. Art Garfunkel's here, and <laughs> Muffy's like yeah he's in the front row or no uh, Art, he goes Art Garfunkel's coming, and Muffy's like he's already here, and Mr. Rapper like pokes his head out and it just adds to his nerves by the way buster dressed as his director did you think he looked like cam newton here i was trying to think of uh this is sort of like the stereotypical like director outfit like the beret and the glasses um but it was a little wackier like it was all a little bit out of place and like did not matching and i was like he looked like cam newton at a press conference not the football player cam newton of course yeah, the, yeah, dire- yeah. the director cam newton no. Oh no! You mean the football player camp? I do. I do mean the football. player. Oh, you just mean he's just like he's just flexing. This yeah. Is he... Like this is a, Ar- a Buster's clout outfit. <laughs> no, <laughs> I I had not considered that he looks like. Maybe if he had dabbed, uh, I I, I would think he looked a little bit more like Cam Newton. That's yeah. a very funny. That that's where your mind went though. That's that's good. Yeah. It just I think I think the glasses brought it all together. The glasses were kind of what tipped me off here. Now that I'm looking, I could see Cam Newton wearing pantaloons. Yeah, totally. Uh, which, which is what it looks like Buster's wearing. So that's, yes, I, I see now how you made the connection. Uh, we get a little bit of George's dad strapping, I guess George was the props department, and he straps the uh, flying saucer to Francine and her dad's garbage truck. Yeah, as they're uh, running a bit late to the to the show. And, you know, well, I feel like we've gotten away from our roots. It's been 100 episodes of Elwood City Limits. <laughs> and I, I think we need to get back to, uh, you know, the age-old discussions of the animal hierarchy. We get a little moment here where uh, they're about to hit a duck on the road, and my first thought was, "Remember those ducks that were doing yard work on Muffy's house?" Yeah, and the ducks that uh, rode by when Grandma Thora said this yep. is only rather for ducks. Yep. Yeah, that's yep. a weird. That's a weird one. And I mean, those ducks were people and had jobs and lives and presumably consciousness and souls. And this is just a duck walking across the street. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I feel like we had gotten past you know, talking about this and thinking about this because there truly is no answer. But if, if you've come to the show after, you know, seasons one and two, uh, 
uh, where when we used to talk about this all the time, I just want to take a moment to you know say that this doesn't make any sense, and the longer you think about it, the more confused and and upset you might be. So it's best not to think about it too much. But you know, this being the one hundredth episode, we have to acknowledge our roots and just say, hey, the animal hierarchy in Arthur is really weird. Just as Arthur is indeed doing through this episode, so was so was so must we for ours as well. I think it's entirely appropriate. So uh, Oliver breaks hard to not run over this duck, and then they accidentally uh, the garbage truck accidentally eats the uh, flying saucer because Francine accidentally pressed the button. And then, wouldn't you know it, the cliffhanger that takes us to the second half of the episode is that Oliver can't get the garbage truck to turn over. So they're stranded, and there's only minutes until showtime. What's going to happen? Well, I'll tell you what's going to happen. We're going to throw to, and now a word from Larry King? And now a word from Larry King. Yeah, this was, like, spit-take-worthy. This was, so... I kind of you know what though, and I do. Once I saw it, I did remember it. I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, me too." But I don't think I've thought about this in over ten years. No way, like n- not at all. And I did get a little bit spoiled for it because the thumbnail that we have has like Arthur and Buster against the Larry King backdrop, and I was like, "All right, where does that come from exactly?" But it's literally like they got Larry King live, Larry King on his set to do a fake interview with Arthur, Buster, Muffy, and Brain. And he's, he says their names out loud. Like, I oh, can't... This this whole... And so, okay, like, if you're one of those people that don't watch the episode along with us, I have to describe it. It's not an authorized version of Larry King. It's live-action Larry mm-hmm. King mm-hmm. talking to... Oh, my, my dog's even freaking out about this because it's so nutty. But it's live-action Larry King talking to, uh, uh, you know cartoons i assume he was just talking to like nothing he's acting against nothing because it's cartoon arthur and the gang and he's sort of interviewing them uh and i had two thoughts about this first of all um from now on i can only think of when i see larry king i just hear the sonic the hedgehog voice he does where he goes Mm -hmm. i'm a hedgehog no one likes me i'm a hedgehog Um, no one likes me i I, there must be some sort of dog in the neighborhood i apologize because that pick it up on the mic yeah a little bit but that's all right Okay, um, I swear, ladies and gentlemen, uh, my dog is very happy. He is not, you know, nothing bad's happening. There is a dog in the neighborhood that he is barking at. Um, anyway, uh, th- the other thing I thought of was this reminded me a lot of Space Ghost Coast to Coast. This idea <laughs> yeah. of um, this, th- a couple reasons. One, the idea of like a live action character interacting with like a two-dimensional character, but also in the setting of like a talk show. And then also how kind of stilted and weird it is. Yeah. Um, all of that, it's actually got a huge Space Coast Coast to Coast vibe. Yeah, it's like we're just we're just missing Moltar and Brack here, but uh, yeah, you're right. There is there is this palpable strangeness to this, and but I gotta say, like not only did they get actual Larry King on the actual live set, but Larry King did his best to treat them the same way he would a real guest. Like he takes it seriously as much as Larry King takes anything seriously. You know what I mean? Like he's not obviously like you know making the jerk off motion with his hand he's like he's he's actually kind of committing to it then it would really be an episode of space ghost if he was making the jerk off motion with his hand yeah uh muffy at one point mentions the name of she's starting up a production company what do you think the name of her production company would be 
Oh my god, it's probably like Crosswire Productions or something. I mean, the fact that she offers him a used car to sway him against his contract on live TV uh, is is something else. The only way this could have been better, because we have, you know, Larry King interacting with them. At one point, you know, as they're ending off the interview, Arthur says, hi, DW, and DW is like in the in the wings there, like telling him to get back to the show. And you have Larry King saying, what does uh, DW stand for? <laughs> and like, that's great. The only way this could have been better is if he threw to the phone lines, you know, just like uh, Chicago, Illinois, you're on. And we just had, like, a fake phone call of, like, Mr. Ratburn or somebody. And also the fact that, uh, you know, as Arthur's dragging DW away, she's like, are you a real king? Where's your castle? This was just out of nowhere. And it's one thing that they referenced all the guest stars that they had and all this kind of stuff. But, like, this is cool. It's very of its time. But because, of course, Larry King Live doesn't exist anymore. He's just doing his interviews on YouTube. Uh, But... This is this was this was wild and I loved it. And now a word not from Larry King, but just from us. Halifax, Nova Scotia, you're on the air. Hi there, Elwood City Limits listener. Uh, just a quick note here from your buddy, your pal, Will Young, that this show is supported by all of you listeners just like you by the following ways. Facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits. Twitter at ECL Podcast. Tumblr, ElwoodCityLimits.tumblr.com. And Instagram at Elwood City Limits. Drop us a line on social media. We'd love to hear from you and give us a like, a heart, whatever it is. Email elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. You can get your email read here on the air. Just send it to us and uh, let us know what you think of the episode, of the show, of anything in particular that we might have talked about or that's on your mind. And you can find the podcast by going to elwoodcitylimits.libsyn.com. And you can find it at your local podcast provider. Now, if the show is not on a service that you use all the time and you'd like to change that, make sure to drop us a line and we will get it on there as soon as as possible. All right, let's get back to the episode now, already in progress. And now, back to Arthur. All right. Uh, well, this is the second half of Elwood City Turns 100. After we've left the Frensky stranded, uh, everything is starting to kind of uh, break up backstage because they need to get somebody to do the chorus. Or not the chorus, excuse me, the narrator's role. And Arthur's the only one who knows the part, but he just isn't confident about his singing ability. But the good thing is, is that in the beginning part of the play, the narrator doesn't sing. So he's going to have to pinch hit for Francine until she gets here. Uh, we have Mr. Ratburn very nervous about delivering his opening lines. Even like kind of keeping his pants up just by his hand here. And, well, and because yeah. uh, Mr. Ratburn has sort of donated aspects of Arthur's are uh, uh, aspects of his wardrobe to Arthur. I don't know why it's so important that the narrator has to wear like old timey barbershop clothes. Uh, but that's one of the things Arthur brings up is like, I can't even, I can't feel in for Francine. I do not have my bow tie. So apparently the, the narrator can't be a lumberjack, even though they don't really like, they're not a character in the story. They're like, it doesn't, it's, it's just funny to me that it's like, no, a narrator must be dressed like an old timey, uh, barbershop quartet, uh, barbershop quartetsman. I guess it's just a signifier of the time, but yeah, it's it's a little, it's a bit of an odd choice, but it is a choice. So but yeah, that's why that's why Mister Rappern's uh, holding his pants up is because he loaned uh, bus, uh, Arthur his suspenders. 
Oh, I see. I missed that detail. Uh, so we get actually the first musical number of this musical. I'm going to play a little bit of it here. Uh, that would be the song called Jacob Katz and Ellen Bogan. Jacob Katz and Ellen Bogan founded Elwood, founded Elwood, Elwood City, Elwood City. Jacob Katz and Ellen Bogan. But I wanted it to be called Elmwood. Done bureaucracy. And this has been in my head for uh 20 years. <laughs> uh yeah, Jacob Catsonella Bogan is a certified slapper. It's it's uh, it's, 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 it's heat. It's heat. It, the heat check real quick on on that song. Oh yeah, it's it's a uh, you're looking for the song of the summer. I've been scouring the Spotify playlists for the for the song of the summer and I think we just found it. And we got like we got like call and response chorus yeah. and the the building Jacob Katzen Bogan. Like very like very catchy. I, I liked I like this song and I still do. Uh and it's also a uh a history of Elwood City in the way that it retells everything. Uh and the brain playing Jacob Katz and Ellen Bogan. And uh, it's it's Binky, Sue Ellen, Jenna, and George in this chorus. And you can actually, like, at different points of the song, you can actually, like, hear their very distinct voices singing. Like, George is near the lower register. You can hear uh, Binky's voice, also very distinctive. Uh, very, I, I like I like this a lot. Uh, I also noticed that there's a point in where we go backstage as for, away from the musical number as Muffy is on the phone with Francine who is making her way as fast as she can. And then when we come back, the chorus has changed from lumberjack outfits to like, you know, f- like flapper dresses and like suits from like what looks like the 1920s. They had so little time to change. That's like Broadway. Uh oh yeah, there this this production for a uh, you know, a play ostensibly organized by children with no budget. Like the costume and set design is pretty top notch. You know, some of that crosswire, uh, uh, some of that crosswire money was getting spent. Absolutely. Uh, we go from that into um, a song about the green tailed grebe, which is uh, <laughs> this. This, re- this remind me of. Um, Oh, Will, did you go to the uh, Nocturne Festival uh, last year? I did not. Uh, so for for our listeners, uh, the Nocturne Festival is like a Halifax free open art festival in which um, for one night, it's our Nocturne Art at Night. Uh, the the whole city becomes like this big art exhibit where like there's all these like performance art and 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 art pieces throughout the whole city, and it's very fun to like walk around and see all the art and, and at the uh, the f- famous Halifax uh, Central Library. Uh, I saw this like giant puppet show about uh, like nature, and and there was like a moose, and the moose died, and it's like all oh, the nature's getting destroyed, and it was very reminiscent of the, sort of the plight of the uh, the grebe here, the green-tailed grebe. It's uh, it's Fern singing a song and in a bird costume doing like an interpretive dance. It's very depressing. Uh, it's like very my like minor key, and it's very fern. Like there is something, uh, <laughs> like it's obviously meant to be kind of like the less good parts of the musical, but there's something very endearing about it. Of just, I mean, uh, later on, Arthur's dad is it's one of his highlights. Yeah, and they also have to work in the the uh, the rhyme grebe with everything. So 
there's lines like taste the salty tears we weeb or our sorrows run so very deep wait 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 you tell me fern likes anime oh she's a weeb fern's fern's watching the the new season of uh uh you know um what is it shield hero or whatever yeah, she watching Attack on Titan season three. Doctor, no? Doctor, Doctor Stone. Yo, I'm, I, I, I'm hype. I'm hype for Doctor Stone. Uh, no, Fern probably prefers. <laughs> Fern probably prefers like the really violent '90s anime, and not until Ooh. she's in high school. Fern's in a ninja scroll. You know what I'm saying? That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it's this very, like, it's basically, let's let Britta sing her awkward song, and it ends, and, like, nobody kind of does anything, but Fern's mom stands up and applauds, and everybody claps. So, I, I don't know, I, I, I got a kick out of that. Um, Buster has, at this point, realized that they're not going to be doing his alien stuff in the script, uh, Brain's taking it out, and he's locked himself in the janitor's closet, uh, and he's refusing to come out. We also go back to Francine and Oliver Frensky. Check this out. This is not only a callback to a previous episode. This is like a callback to a cold open from like a season ago. Like, remember this guy who Ed Crosswire was selling this absolute lemon to? Like, that was basically falling apart? Yes. This guy, this guy who looks like Hans Mole Man? How could I forget him? He is a former throwaway character of the week, but... Uh, as all characters that show up more than once, he is now uh, given away that title because he's just a regular, regular character at this point. It doesn't have a name or anything, but he's clearly still driving this POS car. Like, it's terrible. It's tacky. Like, the the steering wheel's on the wrong side. And he's, like, again, brakes for a duck passing this. Uh, crossing the street with her ducklings. So they're just like, oh, like, oh my God, this is taking forever. What's his line? He's like, but the mileage is great. But she gets great mileage. <laughs> uh, it's 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 a great it's a great one scene character, and the Frenskys react really uh, in a really funny manner to him. Um, so <laughs> we get into the next scene of the play, which is not a not a musical number, but it's more a drama as people are coming to Elwood City and like starting homes there. So we have like Binky as the father, Jenna as the mother, uh, George as the kid with his like painted on freckles, which I thought was funny. And then some other background kid as like the dog. And this was originally supposed to be the scene where they included the aliens because earlier in the episode, Brain was like, I did hear that there was an UFO sighting in like 1915 or something. And the, and originally in the script, it's like, George is like, Oh boy, is that a flying saucer? And Brain is literally perched behind a car prop, handing Binky napkins to read off of. And it's so blatant. It, it's, it's, it's also very reminiscent of, I mean, you'll get a kick out of this, but and I feel like this is the second time we've referenced this in, in recent weeks, but it's reminiscent of Jericho listing off his 1,001 moves uh, <laughs> because uh, 
Binky's simply listing all the things it could be instead of a flying saucer. Yeah, it's like it could be ball lightning, or it could be the Saskatchewan spinning nerve hold, or an <laughs> <Like>, arm bar. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, just just Binky, like, eventually we cut away and cut back, and Binky is, like, up to his ankles in napkins as Brain is just going on and on about what it could be instead of a UFO. I also want to highlight here um, the couple of times that they have the kids deliver lines in this play it's again much like arthur's voice actor um intentionally singing badly it's like they have the kids deliver these lines in the most like stilted manner possible so like they get out of the car and jenna's like wow look at the size of this corn and binky has my line of the episode when he says yes it is a bumper crop So Buster can hear what's going on from the janitor's closet, and he can also hear the play dying at this point. Everybody's so bored because Brain just goes on and on with all this technical information. So Buster jimmies together a costume of, like, he's got goggles. There's, like, a duster on his head that makes up a horn. He's wearing a poncho. He's got, like, an umbrella under uh, as, like, a claw hand because he was talking about having a claw hand as doc director. He's ready to attend the Met Gala. If this isn't camp, I don't know what is. <laughs> oh, this would be a great... This would be the most obscure Halloween costume ever, but it would also be super easy to do. This would be great. Doctor Buster as Dr. Ector, which he then directs Miss Krasny. He says, I... You know, he's like... Everybody's like, Buster, what are you doing? And he's like, Buster? Who is Buster? I am Dr. Ector. And uh, he instructs Miss Krasny to play the tune of Yankee Doodle. And we get a little bit of Dr. Ector's reason for coming here. And this is Uh, some Wayne uh, Brady-esque improvisation on Buster's part. Who knew Buster could be such a clutch uh, improvisational performer? Dr. Ector came to Earth in a flying saucer, had a message to deliver. There's like a... like half a beat as Buster works on his feet and then he just says be a frequent flosser floss your teeth every night floss your teeth all day floss your teeth and you won't get tooth decay great stuff like this is so that was that was really good not uh, since fairly odd parents at the shiny teeth song have we heard such a uh you know catchy ditty about uh, uh t- oral health oh great now that's gonna be in my head thanks a lot <laughs> Um, so Buster eventually like kind of spins around and accidentally, uh, cuts part of the scene up with his claw hand. And then the whole backdrop falls on everybody. And we do get Mr. Rapburn's worst fear realized as he, everybody's struggling under the, uh, under the backdrop and he just goes curtain curtain. So this is his worst fear come to life. And wouldn't you know it, the backdrop is something they're going to have to reuse and they still don't have Francine. Everything looks to be at its worst. And we also have Brain admitting that his script was really boring. So he and Buster do come to a little bit of an understanding. But then Francine comes in at just in the nick of time and says, you know, everybody's like, oh, this play is going, this musical is going so terribly. And she says, that's not what everybody else is saying. And in fact, they look out into the crowd. We get a couple of the parents, mostly mom and dad, read who are just like, you know, I thought Buster was really funny. Dad really liked the green-tailed grebe song. So it's actually going over pretty well. Yeah, it's it's truly all all things to all people. You know, it's got comedy, action, historical fiction, uh, science fiction. Uh, uh, it's, it's great. 
And uh, we, I, I, I had a note here, and it's kind of a comment on the episode in general. The idea of the kids putting on a musical is somehow both low and high stakes. Like, <laughs> like obviously, they're putting on a musical. It's a grade school musical. It doesn't have to be perfect or anything. But the fact that they're taking it as seriously as they do and that they've run into this many problems. Like and it also, does... they're one of 50 schools in the, the city that got picked or something, right? Exactly. There is a little bit of tension to this. Like, even though it's just a grade school musical, they do manage to play it for all it's worth. I So I think they made a good choice in making this kind of the framing device of this episode. Well, I also think a contributing factor is how, you know, they're all, literally every character, every mainline Arthur character is invested in this succeeding, right? And, and I think that's enough to get us invested. And also, think about the audience they're performing in front of. We keep getting these crowd shots of... Mr. Rogers and Yo-Yo Ma. Yeah, there's a lot There's a lot riding on this, and there's reason for the kids to be nervous. So I think this was all set up really well. So Francine's here. She does the final number. This is uh, That's Elwood City, and I'll play a little bit of it here. Hey, Buster, want to get a snack? You have to ask. Slurping shapes at the sugar bowl. The crossing bar is on. This was, this is a great way to do fan service. This is, like, it's weird to almost say that about Arthur, about a show doing fan service, but really, like, there's so many lines in here about episodes from, like, seasons ago. So it's really rewarding to watch this again and have all of these episodes relatively fresh in my memory from the past three years. I'm almost tempted to, you know when people say uh, New York is the main character of a movie? Yeah. <laughs> it's almost as if Elwood City has been the main character all along. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, this is, uh, you know, the whole the whole cast of kids led by Francine doing this song. We get lines like Buster saying, had a, had a comet named after me. Uh, baseball games with Mighty Mountain lost a lot, but we're not counting. There's even a. There's Obviously, even a, they're not counting because they they actually beat Mighty Mountain most times. <laughs> yeah, they win a lot. Um, <laughs> uh, there's actually there's a part in the middle where Francine makes reference to the to the big winter storm, uh, one of your favorite episodes, and how they got through it just like the pioneers did. And yeah, it's it's a very jaunty tune. It's really upbeat. Uh, it's memorable. And it gives some really good shout outs to the history of the show. So I thought this was this was terrific. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree. This is basically where the episode ends as they're uh, 
Um, Arthur, Arthur is driving home with his family. He's tired, but he's like, he's like sleepy, but he's really happy that they put on a good show. And DW says, uh, I wonder what that, uh, I forget what, I forget what she calls Katz and Bogan cause she can't say his name. And she's like, I wonder what he would have thought of the show as we get another shot of his statue with a duck on it. And that's, uh, that's Elwood city turns 100. That's right. Only one episode, really, because uh, it's a full. I think this is the first non like Christmas special full like 20, 22 minute episode where it wasn't an A story and a B story. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's odd to be at th- to be at this place. It, we're breaking we're breaking the rules in a couple ways in this episode. So, Lucas, uh, let's stick to the, let's stick to this uh, time honored tradition. What did you think of Elwood City turns one hundred? Well, it's interesting. I mean, we talked a little bit about this off mic, but the way this episode is formatted, because there's still that uh, word from us kids break in the middle, is that most of the plot stuff happens in the first half, and then the second half is almost predominantly musical numbers. Um, and I thought that was uh, fine, I, because it keeps the episode very varied and interesting throughout. There actually isn't that much plot to be had. It's sort of just that they have to put on this play and all these things are going wrong and then it all ends up okay in the end and so you know the first half is setting up all these conflicts and then the second half is them performing the actual play and then it getting paid off and so the songs which are sort of the star of the show are awesome but so are all the references and I mean it almost goes without saying me and you have watched a hundred episodes of the show analyzed a hundred episodes of the show and talked about a hundred episodes of the show so the fact that this episode is so much fan service and and sort of acts as a, a celebration of the Arthur lore, for lack of a better term, or, or sort of the Arthur deep cuts, uh, is awesome. It's I don't know what to say, but I was grinning from ear to ear uh, throughout this episode. I don't know how well this episode works without all of that context. I still think it's probably pretty entertaining because the jokes hit and the songs are good, uh, but with that added context of having watched all these episodes and being familiar with all these references, uh, it's just like a fun celebration of Arthur. I agree. This was a really terrific episode, and it's clear that a lot of care went into it, not just in writing the songs and you know putting the framing device together, but also the references to the Arthur Cannon. It was interesting in talking with somebody who worked on the show because I think that um, it can feel like when you're just watching as an audience member, especially as you know an adult as the both of us do, sometimes you wonder how invested people were in a sh- in a show that you're watching, especially a show aimed at kids that you know, depending on what it is, you know, might not especially be challenging or interesting to work on. But I think it's clear especially, you know, from the past hundred episodes we've done, from the people we've talked to, and from just seeing the show as it is, that there's a lot of a lot of passion and a lot of energy put behind the best episodes of Arthur, and that's what makes them that way. And this is one of those. This is a tremendous episode. It, it, like you said, Lucas, it, it works best if you've seen everything leading up to this, which at the time when I saw this as a kid, I did. And as an adult, I have as well. Uh, I'd like to think that it works without it, though. Uh, the music is catchy. Um, the references are very much appreciated. Uh, I think that the conflicts in this are very interesting, you know, between mostly between like Buster and Brain, but also Arthur and Francine. Not really much conflict. Uh, I think every all of the main characters are used to their fullest potential in character. 
and I think it just leads to a very interesting episode. There's like a little bit of tension. You want the kids to have a good musical, and I think by the end they have a good time. And even though it wasn't the best thing in the world, uh, it's theirs. And yeah. Also, it avoids the pitfalls that stuff like this. Remember, um, I think it's called Hamlet Two. Yes. Uh, that really yeah. crap. The, the problem with that movie is when you have stuff that like the whole movie is building up to like a performance and then the actual like scene where they do the performance isn't that good. Uh, it, it, it just leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Right. And that's like the problem with Hamlet too, is that whole movie is like leading up to it. And then it's like the actual play kind of sucks. Like it's not that entertaining or funny. And I think this episode avoids that by having really good songs and, and all, all the musical actual capital M musical bits are just as entertaining as the plot setting them up. Agreed. I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad that this hit for the both of us. It's a great centennial for Arthur. Also, and also cent- before we move on, I mean Larry King. What a guess! What a that's catch! Insane. It's yeah. just nuts. <laughs> it's just another note in the history of Arthur. Just like, hey, did you know this happened? And it's totally true. And it somehow fits in really well. Yeah. If you, look, lo- if, you if you see nothing else from this episode, please do yourself a favor and, and seek out this Larry King interview with the Arthur kids. It is it is by itself on YouTube. I would love to talk to who, uh, the people who put this episode together to see how that came about. Yeah, so that's our review of Elwood City Limits. Oh, Elwood City turns 100. Elwood City Limits is turning 100 in a way. Uh, before we get into all of our correspondence here and the end of the episode, uh, of course, want to give a shout out to our patrons. Caitlin Harrington, Chandler LeFave Bowden, Christine Wong, Christopher Eiffel, Crescent Fresh, Dan Mike Dawson Silva, Emily Kay, and Froppy, Ian Collis, Jake Bailey, Joe Sue, Mr. John Dulong, John Griswold, Kaylin Krogull, Kevin Noon, Leanne S., Light Relentless, Macy Ball, Passion Fruit Pavlova, Riley Stevens, Ross Ward, Sam Solero, Shayna Bennett, Stella, and Teresa, thank you very much for sticking around with us. And as as I have to mention this every time we mention the Patreon, uh, if you subscribe to the Patreon, you get all the bonus episodes. You know, you get um, all the Elwood City extras. You get all the filibusters. Uh, you get our review of Detective Pikachu. And the more Patreon subscribers we get, uh, if we reach, is it forty five or is it forty? Uh, it's it's 40 we're at 25 right now so we need 15 more if we get 15 more uh you will be making me and will go see sonic the hedgehog and record a special patreon exclusive review of the now new and improved sonic the hedgehog film that's right uh so the majority of this correspondence comes to us from elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com i apologize if i miss anybody's uh correspondence here if it was on you know our discord feed or uh anywhere else please let me know if i missed anything and i will get it in the next episode our first one here comes from lion dog zxa who says congratulations on 100 episodes i first came across the podcast at random by scrolling through the apple podcasts and being a fan of the show growing up i gave the first episode a listen and the second episode and the third one and so on in the matter of a few episodes, this instantly became one of my favorite podcasts with your in-depth reviews of Arthur, your banter, your pop culture references, and the very welcoming nature of the show. I can't express how much you guys helped me. During this last year of school, I was going through a lot of stress from my classes, and I found this podcast to be a great way to relax and take my mind off my struggles. My favorite you and mo- me both, by the way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. My favorite moment <laughs> from the podcast is a tie between your discussion of funny animals 
when talking about DW's dear friend. Boy, that seems that was actually three years ago. <laughs> I remember that though, and I'm glad you do. And Lucas's Trump impression in the episode where he talked about Revenge of the Chip. So Lucas's Trump impression, aka his impression of Deezus and Marrow's impression of Trump's impression. <laughs> yeah, I wish I could take full credit, but alas, it's it, it's it's a case of standing on the shoulders of giants, really. <laughs> absolutely i agree but i mean it's still it's i i appreciate it i appreciate you. i appreciate you uh thank you lion dog zxa let's move on to john dulong former guest and friend of the show hey guys just a totally anonymous ecl listener emailing in oops you asked for our favorite memories of the last hundred episodes so i thought i'd slide in and say that episode that you did on adult arthur with that handsome debonair sophisticated gentleman john dulong was my absolute favorite all right i kid although being on ecl was an absolute pleasure as was getting to meet lucas at will's wedding I can't say that I have a particular favorite episode or moment. What I, what I Rather, what I love about the show is getting to check in with a good buddy of mine in Will and a guy who I feel like I've gotten to know over the past few years in Lucas. Getting to see this show grow with the guest hosts and excellent interviews makes me so proud to have been on since day one-ish. Looking forward to the next 100 and beyond, boys, and hope to be back on the show soon. Thank you, John. Also, one of our patrons is Mr. John DeLong. Lucas, are you, are you ready to have your world rocked? Oh, wow. I wasn't expecting a, a world rocking. Let me brace, brace myself. Yeah. So, I mean, at least I think so. I think so. <laughs> okay. Right? Okay. Uh, I also want to give a quick shout out here before I forget. We did get a recent review on our Facebook page from Christine Wong. Christine, thank you very much for your lovely review. It's been a while since we've gotten that, so I wanted to make sure that you were given a proper shout out. This one is from Lissa, who's been listening for around two months now. First and foremost, I created a TV Tropes page for the podcast. Whoa. Yo, we we big time now, eh? Uh, big things <laughs> happening in the Elwood City limits world. Whoa. I'm, I'm logging on right now. I'm, uh, I'm, excuse me, I got to log. I got to log. TF on and look up Elwood City Limits on TV tropes. You you I'm, keep talking. I'm sending I'm sending you the link right now. Ooh. Um. So yeah, search Elwood City Limits and hey, tropers, yeah. add to that. You can uh, so you can find it tvtropes.org. It's uh, okay. It's long. We will put this up on the social. How could we not? Uh, there's not much on it yet, but the good thing about TV tropes is that anyone with account can add and edit things onto it. If you had told me when I discovered TV tropes. At the turn of this decade, like we're talking, I, I feel like everybody who's on the internet has this phase of going through TV tropes and then suddenly it's five o'clock in the morning. I remember looking up nightmare fuel on TV tropes until it was literally 4.30 and the sun was coming up. Like, this is wild. I, I, I think at some point in the show we did like say, hey, when are we getting a TV tropes page? Well, holy crap, we got it, dude. This is this is I, I this is too weird. I'm looking at this right now. Oh my gosh, they got the abandoned catchphrase. They got uh oh my goodness, filibuster. Spin, spin off and then we averted the strictly professional relationship trope. This is crazy. This is we, insane. Did you know we are friends outside of work? Is there a uh, is there a, a trope for like a throwaway character of the week? Is that a is that a, a trope that could be added? This is okay. I, I 
Whew, lots to take in. Well, you certainly did rock my world well. What a what a great 100th episode present. There you go. Now we just have to get on the Arthur wiki and we're set. But seriously, this is the coolest thing in the world. And it's another thing to, sh- to show my friends and family and be like, see, I am somebody. <laughs> Thank you, Lissa. Lissa continues here. For my favorite episodes, I love a lot of them. But episodes 27 and 68 are two of my favorites, mostly because they make me laugh incredibly hard. Uh, one of my favorite exchanges came in episode sixty-eight. So, Lucas, this is the one where we were you were trying to remember the name of the of the movie Contagion. Oh, okay. That that's sounds one of my, like something I would do. That's one of my favorite moments of the show. That's like one of the hardest I've ever laughed. <laughs> uh, there are so many moments, though. It's it's hard to say my favorite. The one that always stood out to me, though, when you covered the blizzard, is also one of your best. Really, moments when you two sound like you're having a ball remain the best moments. And that, of course, I remember that being one of your favorite episodes of Arthur, Lucas. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm, I'm sure that, that was, that's where that came from. Super excited for you to see this season, but there's so much more after this. I actually regularly watch the show until around season 18, but I'm trying to catch up now. I hope you don't mind the Flash animation too much when you get to it. And despite some claims, the show remains good to me even after all this time. Liz is excited for us to cover Sue Ellen, Veg's Out, Last of the Tough Customers, So Funny I Forgot to Laugh, and Shelter from the Storm. Well, and also, we now have a way of getting to those episodes a little bit quicker uh, just did an, the first ever ECL flash forward to talk about the gay rat wedding. So that was one of our most recent episodes. Check it out if you haven't yet. As for more LGBTQ plus representation, I would think it'd be bold, but unlikely for them to cover one of the students questioning or even having a crush on another kid of the same sex, or even talk about how cute a celebrity of the same sex is, similar to how Muffy talks about cute boys. Slightly off topic, but another idea is to talk about anxiety disorders in kids, as there are kids who suffer from OCD, PTSD, etc., who I feel like would like to be represented, or might not know that what they're feeling can be helped. I was going to list some future episodes I think you'll enjoy, but then I realized the list would be super long, so I decided against it. That's all for now. I'm excited to see your thoughts on the 100th episode. It's one of my favorites in the series, uh, despite it being super unrealistic as a drama kid who has been in many productions. Thank you, Lissa. Appreciate your memories on that one. And, of course, starting the TV Tropes page, for goodness sakes. That's unbelievable. We have one more email here, and this is going to tie everything together, I think. This one is from... just want to make sure I get the name right. So this is from JHC, who says that he's writing this email to say thanks so much for a great podcast. The fact that you're coming up on 100 makes me so happy. Positively delighted to witness this milestone as it arrives as your podcast has such a cherished presence in my life. A bit of info about me. I'm an artist. I currently study graphic design, but I'm also an illustrator. I came upon ECL during late May 2018, when most colleges have usually let up for the summer in the States. Part of the nature of art is that you just have to sit down and work or rework at it for long periods of time. So even though the first episode even though the first episode I listened to hooked me from the start, at the time Bruce Dinsmore's interview was the most recent upload, your show really became dear to me when school was back in session. Many sleepless nights were salvaged by absolutely losing it at your commentary. Here's a couple of his favorite moments. The discussion of the vocal performance of Mr. Ratburn during the flashback sequence in Arthur's substitute Teacher Trouble. 
the he sounds like a dubbed anime character comment from Will, then the you know what he sounds like? Sonic the Hedgehog from Lucas. <laughs> then the half second beat before, oh, he kind of does, doesn't he, from Will. It was 4 a.m. when I listened to this one. I don't know how my family wasn't angry at me after having woken them up from my absolute fit but I definitely did. This moment was the very first time I remember laughing like that at your show. Will getting so angry about so long Spanky. This was the correct opinion to have, but the fact that Will was so fired up about it, the, the episode fit into the Arthur lore and brought in receipts absolutely made this one. The discussion of which Arthur character matches up with which Overwatch character, I'm weirdly invested in an Arthur skin for Doomfist now. All of your wonderful guests especially loved Alex Moore, JV, and Susan Velasquez, Elwood City's very own Elon Musk in Mr. Crosswire, Big Pickles Energy, and Does Pickles Have a Clown Monopoly? Is Elwood City a one-clown town? I'm so appreciative of the smoke and hot takes and everything else the fan community of both Arthur and ECL bring. It's a great time to bring up all of the great guests that we've had. I was just going to say, this is sort of our version of the uh, the guest list mm-hmm. in uh, in the actual episode, is that, you know, got to acknowledge all those great guests that they mentioned, as well as, you know, all the guests that have been so, uh, you know, nice as to let us interview them. Bruce Dinsmore. Um, Rich yeah, Morris. Rich Morris. Uh, Jessica Cardos. Yes. And, of course, our friends including Moore, JV, Susan, Anna Mansager, uh, Corbon Garcia, you DJ know, Bob. All the the, the El- real Elwood City Limits fans remember, you know, the classics like Evan Stoney way back in episode yeah, three. Yeah, Evan Stoney. Evan Stoney, uh, Nitro Rad. Nitro Rad. Nitro Rad, who, uh, yeah, has, is the designer of the original Elwood City Limits logo. Oh, my always, Yes, while we're always reminiscing, we need to, you know, shout out Nitro Rad for designing the Elwood City Limits logo. That's I forgot about that. That's huge. Which and and it's been it's been great meeting people like Nitro Rad, especially because this year Nitro Rad was in a was in a friggin' H Bomber guy video, and I lost my mind. Yeah, that was crazy. That was unbelievable. You can check out his uh, commentary on the uh, Nintendo press conference. It's pretty good. Nitro Rad. Apologies if I'm not remembering uh, one of our other guests. I'm really trying my hardest. I'm not leaving you out. John Dulong, of course, uh, another great guest on the show who we mentioned as well. Um, yeah, sorry. If I'm forgetting anybody, my greatest apologies. I'm not. I'm just I have a terrible memory. Um, and, of course, our wonderful Arthur interviewees with hopefully more to come, Bruce Dinsmore, Jessica Cardos, and Rich Morris. It's great to hear from them about their experience on the show, and the interviews with them always feel professional but fun and engaging. The radio experience really shines through here. Very polished work. You should be proud. Thank you. I suppose it goes without saying, ECL has brought a lot of joy to my life. The two of you also bring a lot of joy to the show as well. To say thanks and congrats on 100, I made a drawing and tagged your social on both Twitter and Tumblr. Lucas, you've seen this. Yes. Oh my goodness gracious! I have. It's a, it's amazing, and I I don't know if I've mentioned that I wore overalls on the podcast or not, but uh, the outfits are uncanny. Like I feel like I've seen you wear that exact outfit the sort of arthurized version of you is wearing. Uh, so yeah, great work, and you know you put it up on Facebook and lots of fanfare from uh, people I know in real life who know I do the show and stuff like that. It, it feels really good to have brought stuff like that out into the world. Yeah, this was, I mean, I, I've talked about it several times this week, but it was just one of one of the proudest moments, 
one of the happiest moments that I've had doing this show. And I I said this as much on my on my social media. By the way, uh, JHC, you got the part in the way I part my hair exactly <laughs> the way I do it. That was uncanny. Um, yeah. So I posted. I, I I put this up on like my my locked Twitter and on my Facebook. So not everybody has seen this, but. Um, Oh, uh, also for goodness sakes, we just had her on the show. Viv, thank you very much. I don't did not want to disinclude you, Viv. You were a great guest. So I saw that at work the other day, and like I was, I was sitting down on break at work, and I just started crying. Like, oh wow! I I remember I remember telling you, and and like mostly saying to myself, I probably told you as well, Lucas. Back when we started, I was like, you know, what would be cool if somebody made fan art of us. And I remember when we were saying, you would be cool if we got emails. Yes, <laughs> me, t- me too, me too. I remember you posting on Facebook, "Hey, does anybody want to start an Arthur podcast?" It doesn't seem possible that we're at this point right now, and the success we've had is very very modest and i'm just trying my hardest to encapsulate everything to rein myself in i don't want to go on forever here but it does like i have imposter syndrome big time so when people tell me that i'm good at something or i've done well at something my instinct is to brush it off but you guys make it really hard to have imposter syndrome because and not to not to say that you know you praise us all the time or that we always need praise or something like that but you know just the emails that we've gotten I remember early on we got an email from and I can't remember which listener this is I apologize but somebody who is dealing with an anxiety disorder where they had trouble going out uh out outdoors during the day and putting on the podcast helped them do that and that felt I was to the moon and back with that. I remember one of my favorite emails that we've gotten is from a native Syrian um, talking about how, you know, the things that they've been through in their life and the podcast helps them feel better about that. And beyond the Patreon, beyond meeting the people that we have, beyond, you know, the clicks and the views and the likes and everything, what's most important is that we're making you smile. We're making you laugh. Like, it's it's so great to read all these emails and be like this like I laughed out loud at this and all this kind of thing and because like I don't think I'm funny I think Lucas is hilarious but <laughs> That's very I don't I, I, don't I don't think, think either of us are funny <laughs> <laughs> but like you know you 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 put you measure yourself up against other podcasts which where they're like actual ass comedians who are doing this and it's like I'm not one of those like I'm just kind of the way I am and the amount of love the support the like the creative stuff that people have given us i remember one of the first ones was um when we were imitating future on the show and then somebody put us to the beat of mask off (laughs) and i was like that's crazy somebody like cares enough to make that so the fact that i could have made your life i and lucas this is not an i thing it's a we thing it's no no go, go off king go off the fact that we could have made your lives better or at least more bearable for an hour and a half every week. It means a lot. So thank you. Thank you very much. It means a lot to me too. I mean, I'll just add, you know, my big aha moment was uh, last year when we got nominated for the best of 
Halifax Coast Award. Yeah. You know, as yeah. someone who had, you know, gr- grown up um, reading the coast my whole life and always paying attention to the awards and stuff like that and, and, and always looking at the, the best podcast section, the idea that I would even be uh, in the running um, for something like that was a, a truly a dream come to, true. And that's kind of where it felt most real for me and be like, oh, wow, people, you know, really like this show. And and even the fact that we've made it to 100 episodes, I think, stands testament to the fact that, you know, I, I think a big part is uh, the listeners. Uh, but also, I, I got to say, and, you know, not to get too uh, uh, patting ourselves on the back here, Will, but I really enjoy talking to you every week. And I think that's a huge part of the show. And I think that's a huge part why other people like the show is because it's fun to talk to you every week. And I, I don't think I'd do the show for 100 episodes if it wasn't so gosh darn much fun uh, to, you know, take two hours out of my day to watch an episode of Arthur and talk about it with you. So that's that's what I have to add in, in while we're in sappy corner. I agree. Um if if nothing else this has been a great way for us to become and stay friends mm-hmm. like uh you know work work initially brought us together but it was this podcast that kind of brought it to a different level to the point of you know where i'm inviting you to my wedding and considering you as the mc and all this kind of stuff Oh, I know. This is definitely the best thing to come out of that job, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) I'll say that much. Absolutely. (laughs) The most lasting thing that I've gotten from that particular Uh, This might be the best thing to come out of my entire radio degree. Yeah. Um. (laughs) You know, all it it took us was a radio degree, and we have 100 episodes about a uh, podcast about a cartoon aardvark. There's one more thing that I want to say, because I could literally, like, start you know, just ball about this all day about how grateful I am and how much I feel like I don't deserve this. So I'm going to pay it back a little bit. I'm going to pass something on. When I started listening to podcasts, this was literally about 10 years ago. My very first podcast that I listened to regularly was uh, Smodcast, Kevin Smith's podcast. I still do. I'm going to I'll also put something add out. that uh, my, my first podcast, while we're talking about first podcast, my yeah. first podcast was the uh, Giant Bombcast. Yeah. Was the first podcast I ever listened to. Still in the rotation for me as well. Um, what I'm going to put out there is that this podcasting, it's not... <laughs> I'm trying not to invalidate myself by doing this, but essentially you can do this. And not just podcasting. I know that you listening there have something that you're really good at or something that you want to do. For me, it was podcasting. And all I needed was Kevin Smith to tell me that anybody can podcast. I agree with that. I think anybody can podcast about anything. And I think that's part of the beauty of it. But I'll just say that anybody can be creative. And I encourage you to be creative in whatever way that you are. This is how I am creative in my week where, you know, I'm doing a a part-time job that's boring and all this kind of stuff. And I do work on the side that's not so great either. But, you know, you do what you do to pay the bills. This is how I'm creative. And so I challenge you, maybe not immediately, but whenever you feel comfortable, to take what you like to do and do it. Because anybody can be creative, and that includes you. So I want you to be creative. I want you to be great. And if you need any help from me along the way, 
you let me know. You know where to find us. So that's my way of passing that on. Here, here. Well said. All right. Let's get out of here before I <laughs> before I start crying again. That has been the 100th episode of Elwood City Limits, but we keep we keep going. This isn't going anywhere. Knock on wood. <laughs> that, oh, that I'm aware of. Yeah, that we, was the last episode. <laughs> well, it would be a good one to go out on, but we're not. The next time that you hear from us from a full-length Elwood City Limits episode, we're going to be talking about Pick a Car, Any Car, and Jenna's Bedtime Blues. What will that be like? I don't know. Will we get to 200 episodes? I don't know that either. A lot of people like to ask us, you know, like, how how, how far into this are you going to go? And the, and the, short, the, the real answer is like, I don't know. We'll stop when we do, but until then, we're going to keep having fun, because this is fun, and I'm glad that we're here. So, for Elwood City Limits, my name is Will Young, and for Lucas Mancini... You're not just playing a Grebe, you are a Grebe! And we'll see you next time. And go Raptors. Please, God, please. <laughs> God, I... Ugh. Oh, if anything else <laughs> if, if, if there's not another episode that's why is because <laughs> God, I don't even want to talk about it see you next time everybody <laughs> bye guys